As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and the man who knows his Tim Steeles from his Adama Triores, his Keith Downings from his Joao Martinios, and his Tony Langs from his Rui Patricios. It is your Wolverhampton Wanderers correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Jacqueline, how are you? Well, joining us very shortly, the former Wolves goalkeeper Matt Murray joins us to discuss the joy and euphoria which Connor Cody's England goal and celebration brought to the nation. And we'll talk about the radical new proposals for the Premier League and what they might mean for Wolves. Tim went to see Morgan Gibbs-White at Swansea recently and spoke to their manager Steve Cooper about the Wolves midfielders' progress. And we'll hear from the Athletics' highly regarded Leeds United correspondent Phil Hay about Wolves' next challenge, a trip to Elland Road on Monday night. But the moment of the week for Wolves fans and their captain was this. Trippier, great delivery! And Connor Cody scores for England. Well, that is a surprise that Gareth Southgate can enjoy. Oh, what a wonderful, heartwarming moment that was. We need a few of those in our lives at the moment, don't we? Let's bring in Matty Murray, who we always need in our lives. Where were you, Matty, when you saw or heard that Connor Cody had scored an actual goal and for England as well? Uh, it is one of those moments where you, yeah, you remember where you were. I was, I was in the lounge and... Uh, me and my missus were watching the game and, and um, my partner, Natalie, she's not mad for football, but we'd met Connor at a party recently with his, his little boys and his, and his, and his uh, wife. And my missus just said, what a lovely, lovely family. So when he scored, she was like, that's Connor. Oh, and she, and she never even bothered about football, but she was delighted for him. Everyone was delighted for him. I thought it was a really good finish. He'd obviously had that chance just before he swiveled and fired it over because he's not renowned for his goal scoring. But no, it was an amazing moment. So, so happy. He saw Twitter blowing up everything and all the Wolves fans are just so proud of him. And I just think he's one of those people that he doesn't take it for granted where he is. He's worked really, really hard to get where he is. He really realises how privileged he is. But yeah, so I was just sat in my lounge. But yeah, what a moment. And the only thing is you just wish it was a, a full Wembley when he scored past former Wolves goalkeeper Wayne Hennessy. Indeed. I love your understatement hint there of... 
Connor Cody's not renowned for his goal scoring. Love that. <laughs> That's understatement of the week. Tim, you were obviously glued to your television screen, bearing in mind you're a massive Connor Cody fan and being Wolves correspondent. And it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full time Wolves correspondent. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Where else would hey. I be, eh, Jackie? No, I was in the. Um, I was. <laughs> I was in a pub. Um, which some people who know me listening won't be surprised about. But I was in a pub with no TV and just having a nice quiet pint with my mate. And then my phone just exploded. Uh, people just shouting Connor Cody's name. People saying, what the <laughs> F is going on? And I went onto Twitter. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I remember his last goal from open play against Crawley in the League Cup 2016. But the guy doesn't even, he hasn't had a shot for three years let alone score a goal. But as, as Matt's said, like his face when he scores and all his post-match interviews, it's just so genuine. You know, it means so much to this guy and, and as Matt says, his family as well. It's just a, it's a lovely, lovely story. And, and, and it's great for the England uh, squad as well after some negative press in the last few weeks that look how much representing his country means to this guy. And if he can force his way into the first team, he, he could be a real kind of symbol of, uh, of Gareth Southgate's England, I think you know that's that's how that's how highly I'd regard him. Yeah, Harry Redknapp did his newspaper column on it uh, the weekend, saying we should be looking at a ray of sunshine. Instead, we're talking about a complete shower. He says the beaming grin on Connor Cody's face when he scored his first international goal, a shining example of what playing for your country is all about. And he goes on to talk about Calvert-Lewin and Ings as well in terms of what it meant for them. Um, but also talking about that in context of the Jaden Sancho, Tammy Abraham and Ben Chilwell situation with them having uh, got into trouble for, for being at a party. But um, but it, it was just such a joyful moment. And it's quite sad, Matty, isn't it, in a way that we're saying man is happy scoring goal for England is such a big story. But I guess that really is indicative of the relationship of England supporters and players over the years and really how it's deteriorated, sadly. Yeah, and, and that's what I think um, Gareth Southgate had really done, is he'd reconnected, you know, when we went into that World Cup, he'd reconnected the fans and, and, and that real pride and you saw all the players wanting to turn up because I think that was one of the things before. You didn't think that all England players wanted to turn up, but there's such competition for places. They seem to love it when they're going along. And it's a shame that the, you know, the incident in the, you know, the Iceland game, what happened with uh, Mason Greenwood and um, and Phil Foden and then with this going into this camp as well. Because look, these these guys are, are role models, they're heroes. It's a great, great honour. Most of us could only dream of playing for your country. And I think that's what it showed. I think Connor Cody, as you say, Calvert-Lewin, people like that just really, really see how much it meant for them, how hard they'd worked and they're desperate to stay in the team. And I really think Connor can. You could hear him talking on the pitch. That's one of the positives of being no crowd is you can hear how vocal Connor Cody is and the way that he has that of coming into only one or two camps and yet he's still just himself and he's adding something to it all and I think playing the back three will really really help him but he's just one of those guys he's just been on an amazing journey I think a lot of people thought he should have been in the squad earlier but he's come in showed his passing his passion and um, and that's what it should be to play for your country for me is, is the greatest honour and, um, and yeah so too right he had that big smile on his face and hopefully uh, he gets many more caps and keeps making these Wolves fans proud as well His age definitely helps for the Denmark game he was the second oldest player in the England team you know which you wouldn't think because he's making his debut and I, I'd imagine it was probably similar for the Wales game but 
I think what always gets overlooked with with Connor because you talk about his his personality and 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 what, what a great captain he is is his actual performances and you know I watched the highlights of the game and I watched the Denmark game in full and he didn't look out of place at all certainly on the ball he's so composed and, and so confident and defensively very sound um, so I, I, I think he's I think he's got the tools to to work his way in, into this full team um, and it's come so naturally to him if England play three at the back. He's got to be first choice for me in, in that in that central role. He just brings the team together so well. Do you think so, Matt? Do you think he's got a, a chance of cementing a starting place? And do you think that Gareth Southgate will be considering sticking with the three, or is it more an experiment so he has the option as and when he needs to, depending on the opposition? I think he well, he's he's looking at it and he's um, obviously played it quite a bit in his last few games. I think he, he does like that that position, and there's a lot of you know really good centre backs. I think there's about ten, eleven centre backs to choose from. Um, Connor Cody obviously playing that natural position and being what a leader he is and if you're going to go into a tournament you want someone who's robust and Connor Cody is robust he plays week in week out never misses training so look a lot can happen between now and, and, and the Euros but I think he's got a really good chance and I think as well the, the, the back three suits the system because we've got some fantastic wing backs as well in, in the England setup. So, yeah, I think he's got a real, real chance. And also his versatility that even if you did bring him into a squad and you decide to play a back four, if you had to, Connor Cody can fill in in many positions. But I agree with what Tim says. He's totally, you know, he's not looked out of place. He's come through the England youth setup. He knows what it's like uh, to play for the country. And, and, and if you want to dominate possession and use the ball, his range of passing is up there with the best. It really, really is that, that those diags he hits. And, and and there's a Wolves team that's doing really, really well. And the fact that Wolves won't have been in Europe either as well, you'd like to think that he'd be one of the fresher players going into the Euro. So I think to cement himself as a regular starter, maybe not quite yet, but you never know by the summer. But I think he sh- should stand a really, really good chance of uh, making the squad. You think Trent Alexander-Arnold would love it if he was in there receiving those lovely long diags, wouldn't he, on his chest out on the right wing. They could really create things from there. But also Connor was saying that he'd had sit-down chats with Gareth Southgate, who'd been asking him about playing in a back three. And so he'd actually been advising the England manager because he's the one that plays in it every single week and knows how to make it work. So he's actually pretty useful for that team, as well as his leadership qualities, his organisation. And he is just exactly the sort of lad that you would want in a squad for a major tournament, isn't he, in terms of his character? Uh, but also, um, I mean, something that, that sort of made me laugh a little bit, well, I was kind of thinking back, when's the next Englishman going to score for Wolves? Because, you know, in the last 102 league goals that Wolves have scored, only one has been scored by an English Wolves player. Wow. One of the last 102 Premier League goals, and that was uh, Ryan Bennett against Leicester in January 2019 in that phenomenal 4-3 victory. One of my favourite ever Wolves games of my life, by the way. Um, And the last one before that, any ideas when the last Premier League goal scored by an English Wolves player was? Either of you? Uh, Matty Jarvis maybe oh go on Matty Jarvis it was, was it? at Wigan on the final day of the season oh. in a 3-2 defeat oh, was that, I, was that, I, was that, I was there was that when that fan <laughs> ran on the pitch into yeah, the wow yeah <laughs> mate the anniversary of that came up in, in the summer I remember retweeting oh, it that was, that was what, an incredible oh, it was moment. in a bad way it was a bit silly that but yeah I remember that game yeah I do remember that as well yeah and, and the Ryan Bennett game because I did that for Sky is that when Jota got a hat trick it was amazing 
Or yeah, Jota scored. Yeah, yes, he, yeah, he Jota hat trick, yeah. and then Nuno, Nuno came the on the yeah. sort of came on the pitch. Yeah, 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 yeah. that was amazing. Absolutely brilliant that was. Um, but in that season, the eleven twelve season, when Wolves were relegated, they only had one goal scored by a non UK or Irish player. Tim, any ideas? Putting you on the spot here. Uh, Milias. All of them were scored. No, he scored in the cup, but not in the league that season. Any idea, Matty? The last time Wolves were in the Premier League. No. Prior to Nuno's time. What does George Elacobi count as? Uh, no, it wasn't him. It was Ronald Zubar. Oh, wow. At home oh, to wow. Norwich. Because all the goals that season were scored by Stephen Fletcher, Matty Jarvis, Michael Kiteley, Dave, Dave Edwards, Edwards yeah. Kevin Doyle. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Evans Blaine got one, Ward got one. Yeah, so how times have changed. It's just a but, little, um, yeah. <laughs> and who's going to score the next goal by an Englishman? Is it going to be Max Kilman? He hasn't scored since April 2018, the 90th minute winner for Maidenhead against Dover. That was his last goal. Well, hopefully he gets a run in the team because I think he deserves it. Every time he steps in, I think he gives that natural balance of his left foot. And uh, yeah, he hasn't been allowed out on loan. So yeah, I'd like to see Max because in the 23s, he was decent finishing from set pieces, to be fair. Mm. What do you think will happen from now on? I mean, looking at that last game, I don't know if you saw the, the Fulham game or, or even that dreaded West Ham game, um, but it hasn't quite worked for Wolves so far in the, you know, in the last couple of games. We've talked about it at length in the last pod about the midfield in particular. What, what are your thoughts on that with the likes of Neves, Moutinho, Dendonka coming back in for the Fulham game? Yeah, well, I thought against Sheffield United, we looked brilliant and we started and got the early goals and we and we looked really, really good. And then, um, you know, you've heard the talk of Wolves trying to change his style a little bit and sometimes be a bit more possession-based because I think that's probably what Nuno's thinking if we're going to break into that top six. But I just feel that whenever Dendonka plays, we're just better in midfield. We get that platform, we get Dendonka gives you the legs, gets about, obviously you've got the quality for Martinho and Neves, but I felt that when in the when we first went into the Premier League in that first season, then we we struggled early on until we put Dendonka into midfield, that extra body in there. So I, I feel that you know obviously the West Ham game, I, I didn't watch the whole game, but obviously I saw the the highlights, and I thought that was probably one of the worst displays I've seen from a Wolves team. Um, we really did get overran. So I feel look, there is a transition. We lost a lot of players. Obviously Johnny Otto is crucial. Uh, Matt Doherty's moved on. Vettini has come in and, you know, there's lots of play, players yet. We're obviously not going to see um, Silva yet. He's young. So there's been a lot of investment, a lot of change. But I just feel, yeah, in the midfield, which is so, so key, then I just don't think it works with, with Neves and Matinho on their own. So, yeah, I, I feel personally that we, 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 we should have Dendonka in there. And I'm, so that's why I'm surprised he didn't go for the likes of Decore, maybe someone like that. Because if you look at Everton, they realised that that was a weakness of theirs. And the three midfielders they brought in really, really cemented that. And I felt we'd been strong with that over last season. So, yeah, I think when whenever um, Dendonka's in there, I feel that's, that's the, you know, the, the best Wolves team. Yeah, completely agree. He has, to, he has to play every week at the moment. And there's a bit of a conundrum for Nuno going forward. He's trying this sort of netto from midfield experiment, but he wants more possession at the same time. Is it worth Matinho, Neves and Dendonka as a three in there? Is that going to give you more control? You know, we know how much he craves control. Um, I'm not quite sure what Wolves' best eleven is at the moment. As we discussed last week, where does Traore fit in? Who plays at left wing back on Monday against Leeds? I think that's that's up in the air at the moment as well. So... I just think that's going to lead to a bit of inconsistency over the next few weeks, especially with no 
with no pre-season, with hardly any preparation, with all the disruption of the national teams and everything going on. So um, it might just be Wolves fans need a little bit of patience while Nuno figures out exactly what his best team and style is you know, for this season. Do you agree with that, Matt? Do you think a bit of patience is required as they're trying to find the feet in this season with so many changes and without a pre-season behind them and with the international disruption as well? Yeah, I think there's no coincidence that all the teams, if you look at some of the results that have happened, you know, Liverpool losing 7-2 to Villa, um, Manchester United getting beaten six, Leicester going and winning at um, Manchester City. This is showing you that the lack of preseason, the teams that went far into Europe, the teams that have had that transition, you know, they've all got fantastic coaches. They're all fantastic players, but they've found it difficult. And just like, you, you know, both of you alluded to there, the times when, when you speak to managers, they'd think, oh, international break, we can get a bit of work and we can do some stuff. Well, these top teams, they hardly have any of their players there. There's no one really there. So, you've won, you've got the hangover, the fatigue, if you like, from last season. And then they're not getting the time on the grass. And I think that, obviously, Nuno's team before, Tim said it there, he doesn't really know Wolves' best team at the moment, what the first eleven would be. Whereas before, Wolves have been a pretty settled side. You could probably say eight or nine of the starting eleven nearly all of the time. So, those patterns naturally happened. So, yeah, I think with the trying to evolve the style, with the new players coming in, then, yeah, patience is the word. But I just think there's going to be many, many freak results because I just don't see when they can get the timing on the grass. I just don't, I don't see it because, they say, there'll be another international break soon. Then the games are coming thick and fast. So it's, it's going to be difficult. But end of the day, Nuno's been backed. He's signed his three-year contract. We have bought some good players in, but I just really can't call how this season will be. And I think there'll be many twists and turns. And just very finally, Matt, because I know you have to go, um, your thoughts on Morgan Gibbs-White starting well at Swansea. Were you in the camp that felt he had to go out on loan? 100%. I thought he should have gone last season. I really do. I think that he's a brilliant player. He burst onto the scene. I remember coaching him when he was about 15 and me and Rob Edwards used to go into the School of Excellence and, and, and you know, down to the academy and train. And Morgan there, you could just see this lad just stood out, his intelligence Saw him obviously playing in games, made his debut at 16. But then a lot of his appearances were sub-appearances. Had an injury as well. But I just felt that I was worried that he'd sort of missed the curve a little bit because some of those players that he won the World Cup with, well, they'd been going out on loan, getting games. And Nuno obviously wanted him around, but he wasn't really getting involved. So I felt that going with Steve Cooper, who knows him so well, getting those games into the legs, showing how to manage, playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. He's having match-winning moments in possession, out possession, a team that's going to play good possession football as well. He's already scoring goals, he's creating goals. So look, he's a local lad, he's a fantastic player. I believe people like him, Max Kilman, Ryan Giles should be the future of Wolves. And that's why if Max isn't going to get the minutes, I'd like to see him go out on loan in January because I think it's so, so important. So yeah, I think it's a really, really good from Wolves. They've tied him down to a new contract, which has protected them. But Morgan will just go from strength to strength. And look at the players that Swansea had last season. Brewster, gone and been sold for millions. Gallagher, um, he was on loan there as well, um, you know, from Chelsea. So Steve Cooper knows how to nurture these players. And I'm really, really excited about what Morgan Gibbs-White is uh, going to come back to Wolves and do because he is a, yeah, he's a top, top talent. I think he could serve Wolves for years to come. Oh, it's a lovely way to finish. Thank you so much, Matt Murray. Thank you very much. Cheers. Take care. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, picking up on what Matt Murray said there about Morgan Gibbs-White's potential, Tim, you went to see him play in the flesh against Millwall recently. How did he do? Yeah, really good. Yeah, took a little trip down to beautiful Swansea. Uh, It rained every minute of the entire day, Jackie, all three hours there, all three hours back and all throughout the match. And I was sat on the... Uh, towards the front of the stand with a leaky roof at Swansea, which <laughs> ruined both my hair for the day and uh, my laptop for eternity. Um, anyway, it was a great, um, great and productive trip. I really glad I went, glad I went to see him. Actually, he um, he played really well, not as well as he has done in previous games. Um, he was quite in and out of the match. However, what really struck me about watching him was how a how confident he looked, and I think I think I've probably seen every every minute of, of, of Morgan's career for Wolves, to be honest. I've never seen him, A, that confident on the ball, and B, that comfortable in the system and where he was playing, which was basically everywhere. You know, his big issue at Wolves has been, where does he fit into 3-4-3 under Nuno? I think when he came into the team, I think Paul Lambert was playing a 4-2-3-1, which sort of suits him perfectly, really, uh, in one of those three roles behind the striker. But in Nuno's 3-4-3, it's not been obvious to me or to Nuno, I don't think, where you play him. Do you play him as one of the midfield two or do you play him as one of the wide forwards? And he's never really looked that confident or comfortable in the system to me. And his performances really tailed off last season. I remember Besiktas away, he, he just didn't contribute at all. Um, this was completely different. So you could say he's found his level, but I wouldn't agree with that. I feel like it's no coincidence that he's played four league games in a row for the first time in his career. I don't think he'd even made three consecutive league starts before for Wolves. Pretty sure of that. He's now made four plus a League Cup appearance as well. So five in a row. And it's amazing what what that does for a player of his talent and ability. You just need a run of games sometimes just to kickstart your career. And I feel like that's what he's getting now. So he was great. Um, He's basically in a free role. Um, They've got a very fluid front three. um, And he was popping up here, there and everywhere. Constantly looking for the ball. Whenever the keeper had the ball, or whenever one of the centre halves had the ball, he'd be putting his hand up every single time. He demanding possession, coming deep to get it, making darting runs off the ball as well. You know, we know he's very quick and positive, um, very technically gifted as well. So he was kind of bringing all that together. He got an assist with a nice cross as well. Um, he's already scored this season, so he's adding that end product that he's never ever delivered at Wolves really, apart from in tiny fits and starts here and there. So. I saw a tweet earlier today when I was saying we're doing the podcast and someone was like, oh, you're not going to be talking about Morgan Gibbs-White again, are you? Because I think we've mentioned him in the last couple of weeks. I would say that, you know, unlike previous loans that Nuno has uh, has overseen in the past couple of years, where it's kind of spelled the end of their Wolves career, 
this is different. Morgan's coming back to be a Wolves player, you know, if, if, if he can have a good season, which, which he's on target to do at the moment. You know, we look at Wolves changing their style. We look at them maybe needing a number 10 if they go forward at the back in the future, maybe. I think if, if Morgan can, can replicate what he's done at the start of the season over the rest of the season, he can, he can come back with confidence and, and look to get into this Wolves, maybe not first 11, but certainly kind of maybe first change off the bench and uh, part of the squad rotation because that's how much talent he's got. You ask anybody who's coached him at academy level, they will say he's the best, the best that they've seen in the last 15 years. That's how, that's how good he is and can be. Yeah, and he's had to have chance to show it. As you say, week by week, his league games at Swansea, four league games in a row. Minutes-wise, he's played 79, 81, 90 and 62. And his previous four league games for Wolves, he's played two minutes, one minute, one minute and four. So, yes, he's getting the time now to show what he can do. And what about his manager, Steve Cooper? Yeah, so as as Matt Murray said earlier, he's he's sort of the perfect manager for him. Really, he, he know, knows him from England youth level. The Swansea place a massive emphasis on youth. They play good football. They play three at the back. It's the perfect loan. Um, so yeah, I spoke to Steve Cooper afterwards and asked him what he thinks Morgan needs to do to replicate the initial promise he's shown over the course of the rest of the season. Focus, concentration, um, committing to every day, uh, as it's you know the last, and um, and being as ready as you can and for games because. Um, He's in the team at the moment, and he's got to work hard to stay and stay in the team. You know, we have you know, Jan Dan is not there today, but he can play as a ten. Andre can play there. Wayne can play there. You know, we could change the midfield up. So, uh, like all the players, they've got to they've got to play well to stay in the team, and that's that's a challenge now, same as everybody else. Another assist, and you know, in the end, that's what we brought Morgan here for. You know, was to to give us productivity at the at the, the top end of the, of the pitch and. Um, Man of the match last week, uh, a little bit in and out of the game today, truth be told, but he gave us a moment that you know got us in, in the lead. He puts the free kick in for, for Cabango's goal. I know there was a couple of touches before Ben put it in. So um, so he's having a good impact and like all of the young players, their challenge now is to not get complacent and and, um, and keep it going. And you make a good point, you know, he hasn't played much football over the last couple of years. So, we're, you know, he's getting that opportunity here. So. We're hoping he gets fitter. He's come off with the knock today, which is unfortunate. His, his ankles um, had a bit of a bang, so hopefully it's not too serious. But he's certainly, you know, um, going to need a few few days treatment at least. But um, but yeah, he's just going through that young player process, like Cabango, like Mark, of you know making the most of their opportunities and and having a good impact. But you know, filling potential. So it's good to see that Morgan Gibbs-White is getting some game time. He's not in the England under-21 squad, though, at the moment, is he? Even though he's still 20 years of age. But there have been plenty of other Wolves players getting plenty of minutes on the international stage. And fingers crossed, it all seems to be going well as we speak at the moment. So who's been playing for whom, Tim? Yeah, you're right. Fingers crossed, it looks like nobody's picked up an injury so far. So long may that continue. A few playing for, for Portugal Wolves, as you might imagine. Um, Patricio, who missed the last round of international games, was back in the team for Portugal. Um, they've had two nil-nils at the time of speaking against Spain and France, and he's kept clean sheets in both. Neves played 90 against Spain. Matinho played 45 against Spain and a couple of minutes against France. Semedo's played in both games as well, 22 minutes against Spain and 90 against France. Pedence is the fifth man in that Portugal squad. He's never hasn't made his debut yet. 
Um, he was on the bench for the France game, but not for the Spain game. So they've got a match against Sweden in the Nations League on Wednesday night. So we'll see if Pedence makes his debut, but I would suggest not. But good for him to go away and get the experience. Um, the under-21s, people might have seen a couple of clips doing the round on social media of Pedro Neto with a bit of a worldie. He scored two goals against Norway. Vitinha scored as well. They won 4-1. So great for those two to be getting a recognition and Neto, you know, possibly pushing towards a senior squad. You never know. Fabio Silva and Christian Marquez uh, joined up with Portugal under-20s, but that was just a training camp for a week, basically. No games played and they should be back at Compton by now. I think the last day was either Sunday or Monday for that training camp. So that's good. Obviously, we know Connor Cody, a full 90 against Wales and a goal. Um, Leander Dendonka played 90 minutes for Belgium against the Ivory Coast, was unused against England. Again, they play on Wednesday evening. And the big one, as well as Cody, this in this June international break was Adama Traore who came off the bench for Spain to make his debut against Portugal and ran them ragged. And I say them, I mean Ruben Neves and Nelson Semedo. Um, it was quite a moment. I thought he had a, he had a blinding cameo. He was doing exactly <laughs> what he was doing for Wolves last season. Spain playing three forwards and he's the right forward and basically just run at a man and get to the byline. And he was doing it brilliantly. And we see time and again in the Premier League how he gets doubled up on now and teams play deeper to try and nullify his threat. None of that from Portugal, even though they should know more about him than anyone else. Um, so he was brilliant. You had this amazing moment where he, he tore past Semedo, got to the byline, put a cross in, and the shot was saved by Patricio. Really good save. So it's um, it's remarkable, really, Jackie, when you think about it. You know, a few years ago when we had internationals playing for Northern Ireland and Saudi Arabia. And now it's. Um... I was excited when Robbie Dennison had played for Northern <laughs> Ireland. I was checking as he scored. I'd wait for the Express and Star to find out. So no, he, that was great. And then, um, he, uh, and then he came on against Switzerland in a Nations League game a few days later. Thirty-three minutes off the bench there. So seems to be really in Luis Enrique's plans for Spain. That's fantastic for Traore. Um, and a couple of others. Saïs, Morocco captain, Romain Saïs. Uh, played 90 minutes against Senegal. Raul Jimenez got on the score sheet for Mexico with a penalty. They beat Holland 1-0, surprisingly. Um, and Ryan Aitnori played 90 minutes for France under-21s against Liechtenstein. So, yeah, lots of them going out and getting minutes, but touch wood, uh, no injuries so far. That's all that Nuno will care about. Yeah, it's not very good for my marriage particularly having all these matches because I'm watching every single match every night of the week anyway I basically live like a single person my husband cooks for me and then he watches cookery programs in the kitchen and home improvement programs and I'm in the lounge watch all these matches on the tv with the darts on my ipad he's not interested at all but um but yeah it is fun watching these international matches I'm flicking between one and the other with Raul on one side and the you know the Portuguese lads on the other and really enjoyed watching France Portugal on Sunday night because when you've got all these Wolves players to look at, it's great. I mean, there was Patricio didn't put a foot wrong again. And Semedo, I thought he was really, really good. He's had so many touches. Constantly, really, really involved with everything. Such an athletic player. You can see why they went for him. And my, I don't like the term upgrade on Matt Doherty because it, it sort of denigrates what Doherty brought. And he was brilliant and, and added plenty, of course, in the final third. And that was just something we didn't see so much of Semedo in terms of his, his link-up play in the opposition box. But no doubt he's capable of that. And he you know, commentated Tony Gale was waxing lyrical about him. But it was great to watch him. Such an athletic... Um, so was he on the right or the, or the, or the left? Because he was he on was the on left the right. in Spain. Right, okay. 
He was on the right in the back four and he was everywhere. And don't forget, he was up against Mbappe. So, and he was really, really effective going forward. So he wasn't afraid the fact they had this superstar on his flank. He was, he was very positive, very offensive, able to get back whenever. And it was just great to see him play knowing that he's a Wolves player. Well, this is a, a, a you know, Nuno will bemoan the fact that his players go away on international duty, but this has been a good one because Semedo hasn't been fit. Uh, he played 45 for Barcelona, then he couldn't finish the West Ham or the Fulham games because he wasn't fit enough. So he's played he's played his first 90 minutes of the season, I believe, uh, against France. So that hopefully that should be great for his fitness and, and he can come in and hit the ground running again on Monday. Oh yeah, he looked really, really good. And um, I was doing a bit of scouting again. <laughs> Wolves in this Portugal side. Look at their midfield. And, you know, William Carvalho had been heavily linked with a move to Leicester this summer. He stayed at Real Betis, 28 years of age. Very, very good, highly rated player. I wonder whether Wolves have looked at him. And Danilo as well, really good player, has gone on loan to Paris Saint-Germain from Porto, who presumably needed the loan fee money and what have you. You know, and they're 28, 29 respectively. But (laughs) I do wonder when rather than whether... We'll see them in a wolf shirt, but uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. If you if you want to do scouting, just just watch watch the Portugal teams. Exactly. I'm amazed. I'm amazed I didn't get all these scout reports on WhatsApp uh, as the evening I, went on. I normally do, but I think you're bored of my scouting reports. No, but, no, but I, no, I love them, and they're mostly intertwined with um, with chicken emojis. That's mostly what I get from you these days. <laughs> yes. Chicken, not what you said last week, you rude man. <laughs> well, you wanted the cockerel emoji, but the way you asked me was 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 hilarious. But yeah, I just, <laughs> just, I just came get, out wrong. I just get a chicken every every day now. It's my new favourite emoji though. <laughs> now, hopefully, wolves won't chicken out when they go to Elland Road. They won't have to worry about the fans, Ooh. that's for sure. But. Um, <laughs> I like the fact you lumped Leeds away in with a, a decent run of fixtures in the last podcast as I winced thinking, <laughs> no, Leeds away is not one of a decent run of fixtures. No, but not an easy one, but it's a game to look forward to. It'd be a good game. That's not what you meant. Don't backtrack. <laughs> but um, yes, it is Elland Road next Monday night and it is on Sky Sports and not one of the box office matches that Wolves fans are going to have to pay £14.95 for. Those are for the ones that are not televised anyway as part of your package thank goodness well let's bring in the athletics leeds united guru highly respected correspondent phil hay hi phil hi guys just out of interest before we go on to talk about the football how much fun is it for you covering leeds united these days with them now being back in the premier league after all this time it's a a blessed relief and it's something that i started to wonder after a while, if I was ever going to see um, Leeds in the Premier League, I, I did say when I left the Yorkshire Evening Post about 15 months ago that um, given that I'd been there from 2004 onwards and given that my first competitive game was defeating the playoff final in 2006, followed by what, 13, 14 um, EFL seasons, it was probably me and the chances were that the moment I left, they get promoted and lo and behold, they, they have. So it's a it's an absolute treat. I mean, I have to say, not, not just the Premier League, it's been a treat following Bielsa for two seasons. The football's been immense and imaginative. And it, from our point of view, it's, it's just great to see it working again at this level because you're never quite sure. You know, you're never quite sure how it was, how it was going to go once they, they climbed up into this league. 
And everyone talks about Bielsa as being an absolute genius of a manager. We know Pep Guardiola looks up to him so much. So we, we know what he can do as a manager. But as a journalist, what's it like covering him, bearing in mind his lack of English? Yeah, you, you adapt to the lack of English quite quickly. Um, it, it is strange. And I think the one big regret that I have as I get older and as I go further into journalism is that I never learned Spanish, not just for him, but because Spanish these days is, is kind of not essential, but it's so useful when it comes to covering football in the UK, given the people and the players who, who are coming here. Um, but he's he's such a deep thinker um, on on all levels. And it's, you know, I've, I've never dealt with anybody quite like him. I've, I've never dealt with a manager who's as keen as he is to get into the, the finer details of his tactics and, and to actually talk tactics to you. I, I find with a lot of managers that when you try to take them down that route, they don't really want to discuss formations. They don't really want to discuss coaching methods or how they see the game, what what they think. But with him, that's what kind of pushes his buttons, really. He's not a a tittle-tattle manager at all. He he doesn't like getting into that side of things, but he will sit for hours and hours, literally hours sometimes, and and chat on to you about the fundamentals of the game and and how he understands it and and how his team has been built. And I, I think... You know that all sounds great, and and it it can be very impressive in words. But I think when you you kind of ally it with the the improvement that we've seen from individual players and the way in which he's coached the the team, it's it's hard not to be struck by it, and hard not to think that you are genuinely dealing with a, a very elite coach. And in terms of the football, have you been surprised by the start, by the 4-3 the defeat at Liverpool in the opening match, which was just so highly entertaining and they weren't exactly nervous, were they? And then beating Fulham 4-3, winning at Sheffield United and then holding Man City at home in the last Premier League game. They were always going to have the same principles, which is possession-based football. Um, I mean, they were, they were up over 60% of possession on average in both championship seasons. Um, very attacking, playing with a, a you know a, a strong forward line. So when they're on the ball, you can have five or six players as as the attacking line. And once you get into the final third, that was always going to be the, the intention and the plan. I think what nobody was certain about was how well it, it was going to work, particularly against Liverpool and against Manchester City. I'd say what's impressed me most is the way that they've managed to transfer the tactics from the Championship um, to the Premier League without too much in the way of adjustment. They they are having to go slightly longer from time to time because the, the press um, can be very high and, and very aggressive in the Premier League. But I noticed, um, particularly away at Sheffield United and again um, at home to Manchester City, the way in which they were able to cope with little periods of the game where it wasn't going particularly well or, or they were struggling, you know, especially the, the matchup between Clayton um, Phillips and De Bruyne and Foden against Man City, you know, that, that got very out of hand in the first 20 minutes. But little by little in both games, they settled down, they, they got on top. And, you know, away at Sheffield United in the second half, it felt like watching Leeds in the Championship. They felt as dominant and as confident and, and as, you know, as, as sure about the tactics as they had been at that level. And I think that's probably the most encouraging thing about the first month not so much the results which have obviously been very good but the fact that it does feel as if they're up to it in this league and it does feel as if Bielsa's tactics are going to work because the one thing we knew with him was that he wasn't going to adapt much you know even if it was a struggle even if it was hard work he was highly unlikely to ever abandon his tactical plan so the fact that it is clicking into place I think is, is absolutely crucial for them. It's interesting a lot of things you say about Leeds sort of chime with Wolves really and you know a team that knows itself inside out and, and coming up from the Championship to the Premier League and, and, and adapting very quickly and I think Nuno and Bielsa both sort of philosophical managers who like you say not really tittle-tattle guys um, I just wondered Phil if you're Nuno you're coming to Ellen Road on Monday what are the, what are the weaknesses you're looking to exploit in this, in this Leeds team? 
I think you can you can get it leads down the left hand side. You can also get it them down the right when Ailing comes forward. That those are the positions where Bielsa and Leeds are prepared to take risks to play with a a back two or or a back three when Calvin Phillips drops in there as as the fullbacks bomb on. But the fullbacks do push very high and they will take up positions deep inside the opposition half when they're on the ball and and it does it does expose them to the counter attack. Although. Equally, they're very well schooled and very well drilled when it comes to covering the space in behind. You'll probably see a slightly different formation to normal um, in the way that, that Bielsa did away at Sheffield United because I would assume, certainly from looking at previous games, that Wolves are quite likely to go with, with two up front unless I'm mistaken. And and whenever Bielsa comes up against a team like that, he prefers to play a, a back three to give himself a spare centre-back. It's always a, a back four with two in the middle um, against a lone forward, which is generally what, what you're more used to in English football these days uh, but that's certainly one area I, I think as well what De Bruyne and Foden were able to do very well in the first 20 minutes for, for Man City was to lose um, Cleek and Phillips and to get into the gaps around them um, they also shielded Phillips very well, um, used Riyad Mahrez to cut the passing lanes and, and to take him out of the game for a while but the intelligence was there to, to work that out and to figure out a solution to it. Phillips was very good at taking up different positions, going wide in, in search of the ball, working out that if he just hovered in the middle, he was going to be taken out for the, the whole game. So, I mean, that is that is where you can get at this Leeds team. There's, there's no question about that. And they're not especially strong from set pieces. They, they never have been under Bielsa. Um, but for a, a newly promoted side, you know, the, there isn't a lot in the way the chinks in, in the armour. And... You know, I, I always felt when Wolves came up that the big advantage they had was that they were they were coming up with Jota and Neves and, and Bolly, you know, players who looked like Premier League class um, in the Championship. I think Leeds have, have come up from the Championship without that, but what they've done is they've added Rodrigo and they've signed Robin Cock and they've taken um, Urente and, and also now Rafina um, from Rennes. So I think in this, this transfer window, they've managed to add a little bit of the, the kind of quality aspects that Wolves had and I think it, it has elevated their dressing room to a different level. What about Helder Costa? Because when he went from Wolves, it seemed that he took quite some time to settle at Leeds and to really show Leeds United supporters what he was capable of. I mean, towards the end of his spell at Wolves, he he lost some of what he had shown earlier on, maybe because of injury. He wasn't quite the same player after that, but he did score a couple of goals against Fulham. Do you think he's getting back towards approaching his best now? Yeah, I think so. He's had a good start this season. I felt he had a good run in um, at the back end of the championship season as well. The the problem for Costa, um, I uh, Tim will know that I, I spoke to Dave Edwards after he joined Leeds, and um, Dave was sort of chatting about the fact that, that Costa was very very good on the counter, but very good when he had space to play in behind, you know, behind the opposition fullback and and gaps in in the opposition half. The problem for Leeds in the Championship was that that just never happened, or with very few exceptions, um, that was never the case because teams learned that the way to play Bielsa's side and the, and the kind of gamble you had to take was that you would park men behind the ball and hope that that you'd not concede and then you'd get a chance at the other end and, and you would nick it and, and that did happen from time to time but it didn't really lend itself to Costa's strengths and I think he's starting to find and I think Leeds will find that you know, in, in that respect, he's a bit more able to express himself in the Premier League. He'll have he'll have more room to play, and he'll he'll be a bit freer um, than than he otherwise was uh, last season. And I think a lot of us feel that we're starting to see a fifty million pound winger there in a way that you know, for parts of last season, we definitely won. I think the the jury was out on him come the the midway point of last year. Um, but he he's very much an established player 
under Bielsa and I, I, I feel at this stage I mean Pablo Hernandez has been out with a, a groin strain we'll find out from Bielsa later this week where he's at but it, he, he should be pretty close for this game but I think regardless of whether he's back or not I still expect Costa to, to hold his place on the right hand side do you think that Leeds are particularly affected by the lack of fans at the moment? It's something that Connor Cody's talked about. He absolutely hates it. And we were musing on the last pod as to whether Wolves are being affected more so than other sides, even though they all have to just get on with it and deal with it. But do you think it's affected Leeds at all in terms of expectation and pressure? Or, or do you think they would have been even better with the support behind them? It's a hard one to call. I, I, the if I look at the results between the resumption after COVID um, and, and where they are now, they've, they've been excellent um, in the main with, with very, very few exceptions. I, I think you could possibly say that in the first game back after the shutdown away from Cardiff, there was a bit of rust there and it was all a bit low-key and flat and it did feel as if they, they needed an, an injection of something. Um, but there have been occasions, I think, where the absence of a crowd has, has probably helped, particularly the game at home to Barnsley last season which effectively sealed promotion that was the the critical win and and that was horribly nervous and and it was a you know it was very much one of those afternoons where had there been a crowd in Ellen Road you you, you knew what it would have been like you knew how twitchy and, and tense it would have been I, I don't think there are many players at Leeds who would say that they're enjoying the fact that there isn't a crowd and and you know the the big consequence for them was that when they went up last season and won the title they weren't able to do any of the things that promoted teams normally do, you know, the open bus parade and, and the, the full-on celebrations. There were fans gathering in the street, you know, there were thousands outside Ellen Road, but it, it wasn't what it would have been and there were none of the pitch invasions or, or anything else. So I think they feel like they've, through no fault of anybody's, they've been sold short a little bit in, in that respect. But, I mean, the, the results don't suggest that they're struggling without a crowd at all. They, you know, in many ways, I think Manchester City would have found that game at Ellen Road even more difficult had they had... 35,000 on them from an hour onwards and, and the score at one all because they were really toiling in that period. So no, it, it might be having an effect elsewhere, but I don't feel like it's been a, a negative factor here, much as they would love the crowds to be back. I'll just ask you finally about uh, Barry Douglas, Mr Hay. He was uh, he was a very popular player during his time at Wolves, done well for Leeds, but it seems like the writing's on, writing's on the wall now, not figured in the league yet this season. It does really. It, it was such an impressive signing when he came in and, and a surprise. I mean, he, he'd been 2018, he was on Leeds list as really, you know, the pick of the left backs if if they could have anybody that they could, you know, could realistically sign for the budget they had. And he was kind of ruled out on the basis that they had no expectation of Wolves making him available. And then, you know, suddenly he was on the market and they signed him for about three million pounds. And between, you know, a mixture of his form, other players' form, injuries that seem to, to kick in and, and hamper him from time to time. He's never settled. and I mean, he's happy at the club. He's settled at the club, but he's never settled into the team. He's he's never looked like the dependable left-back that you would never drop. And, it, you know, it tells its own story that at the moment, Stuart Dallas looks like the best left-back at the at the club. Um, somebody who, you know, was normally, to begin with anyway, a, a right-winger, um, is right-footed. You know, they, they don't have a natural left-back who, who can hold down a place right the way through the season. And there is interest in, in Douglas Watford, a very keen um, Blackburn. I've, I've spoken about him as well. And I think on the basis that, 
you know, he, he didn't make the 18 for the game against City, which Jack Harrison was missing because he was ineligible. Um, and Bielsa's choice on the bench and, and the substitute that he used was Leif Davis, a, a young academy player. I think if in those circumstances Douglas isn't making the 18, you, you kind of know that, that he's on his way. And his contract is up at the end of next se- uh, end of this season. Um, and I think it's, it's fair to assume that there's, there's going to be a parting of ways there. Thank you, Phil. We really appreciate you joining us on the Molyneux View podcast. Thank you very much. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Thinking ahead to that Leeds game, Tim, we've had a tweet from Jay who asks, what's your first 11 if everyone is fit, including Johnny? So there's that question, but then there's also, what about your team for Leeds? Yeah, yeah, Johnny ain't playing on Monday. It's not completely obvious to me at the moment. I look at, I just watched Traore against against Portugal, and he's got, he's got to find a place for him in this Wolves team. He's too he's too good to, to be on the bench. They sort of changed formation to accommodate his form last season, I felt, um, to get him and Doherty in the team. And, and it, you know, they were initially 3-5-2. With Troy at wing back, and they were like, "We've got, we've got to get Troy and Doherty in the same team." So they changed it to three four three. Neto, he's done well, and he's a, he's a great player to have in the squad. Is he good enough to to kind of change the formation for and, and pin him on in this sort of three five three attacking midfield role? Not sure just yet for me. I'd rather have Pedence left of Jimenez and Troyore right of Jimenez, and especially when you hear Phil there talking about. Um, Vulnerable down the flanks, vulnerable to counter attacks, vulnerable on set pieces as well. You know these these are decent strengths of Wolves. I'm quite I'm quite buoyed by that conversation. Um, although obviously you know there's a lot for Wolves to worry about from Leeds' point of view, but certainly there are weaknesses to be exploited there. And I just wonder. I, I think this is a game that's set up for what Wolves would do time and again away at big six teams in the past couple of years. You know three four three, sit deep, soak up the pressure, and hit them on the break. A couple of times at the Emirates away when they've had Costa Cavalero or Traore Jota either side of Jimenez, it just works so well. So well when they can hit teams down the flank at pace on the break and I just think that this is suited to that kind of way of playing. But we know Nuno's trying to mix it up a bit, more possession, the more domination of matches. I just um, I think there are weaknesses to exploit there and I think you've got to play Traore and Pedence for me with Dendonka and Neves in midfield. Samedo on the right and possibly Mr. Ain't Nori on the left for a bit of a shock debut down the flanks. I don't know. It's a tough one to call. You know, Nuno, Nuno's obviously seen a lot more of him than I have. Um, but yeah, that's potentially what I'd, what I'd be looking at. How about you, Jackie? What, I'm guessing there's no word on Marcel. No, so he was he was training on his own before Fulham. He was out on the grass, but training on his own. I don't think he's trained enough with the team yet. Another two weeks on, that may change. But yeah, we'll speak to Nuno on Friday's pretty much press conference but yeah what, what I'm interested to hear your thoughts Jackie what do you uh, what do you think for Monday yeah I mean talking about Traore it, it is a bit of a conundrum isn't it is how, how do you fit your most exciting most dynamic player into a team when recently you've been anything but exciting and dynamic I mean it seems obvious you try to accommodate him but it, it is a conundrum and I've just had images of Nuno sitting at his kitchen table with a Sabutio <laughs> set trying to 
workout. I'm sure that's how he does it at the top level. Um, trying to work out how to get the best out of the players he's got. We understand that he's trying to progress uh, into a more possession style of play. But when you've got leads away and, and you know, you're trying to really kickstart your season. Um, and having seen having seen Adama on international duty, he'll be watching all these matches. Um, I don't know if he'll have the darts on the iPad like I have as well. I'd be disappointed if he didn't. But if if he does, um, then I think he'll be watching those games thinking, I need to try and find a way of accommodating Adama. Um, but I do think, we've talked about it to death recently, about the midfield. Um, something needs to change with the... Um, Moutinho and Neves combo and Dendonka started last time would imagine he'd want to start him again um, but in terms of the question that Jay asked about if everybody's fit including Johnny then in theory yes. you'll have Marcel and also Ryan Hape-Nori one of them on the bench and one not inside not something to worry about really for the majority of the season potentially until I don't know maybe March April time um, but you do wonder what the plan is after that when Johnny's You do, back. but Johnny, Johnny's got to play for me. I mean, he he's goes under the radar sometimes, but he's so consistent and he's so good defensively. And if Wolves are playing Semedo, who's, who's more suited to attacking rather than defending, perhaps, then you need more stability on that other flank. And I think he offers that. And I think Wolves miss him. They really miss him. And it's a shame Marcel's been injured as well because he, he made a promising debut at Sheffield United, sort of in the Johnny mould. So, um, yeah, we hope he gets back soon. As exciting as I know he is, he's not going to be a very solid defender we don't think initially it be interesting to see him as we talk on Monday he's due to play tonight in the under 21s um, try and find a way of watching that somehow uh, Josh Burden wants Johnny's back I bet your husband will love that by the way so, <laughs> so, I think he what, seems to be quite what, what we're doing tonight we're going to have a nice little romantic evening in maybe cook something nice actually I was going to watch France under 21s so is that alright I know. I feel bad, actually. I do feel bad because when Project Restart happened, he said to me slightly sarcastically, he went, so is that you then for the next six weeks? Is that it? We just don't see you. And I was like, what do you mean? And I barely saw the lad for the following six weeks. <laughs> Literally, we put the kids to bed, come down, he makes dinner, bless his heart. And then he seems quite happy on the sofa watching what he wants to watch. And, like, and you've got the life. Watching France under 21s, playing Sabutio. What else would you rather be doing, eh? I know, but he seems quite happy, which is a bit of a worry. <laughs> watching his own programmes. Um, Josh Burden wants Johnny's back. Could you see Semedo use further forward if Aitnori excels at left back, pushing Johnny over to the right? Uh, I, I'm not sure with the options that Wolves have got that that, that would ever come up, really. You know, Traore, Pedence, Neto, so good. I, I'm not not sure unless there was an injury crisis that, that we'd ever see that. But he does look very good going forward, as I see what you mean. Another subject to talk about that people might have picked up on in news bulletins from the newspapers over the weekend Highly controversial proposals published, leaked really, which would involve a restructuring of the top flight, which is being billed as a, a top six power grab and Wolves potentially, seeing as they're not deemed as top six at the moment, could be on the outside looking in. Can you explain a little bit more and should Wolves fans be concerned? I mean, these are very initial proposals with not a lot of meat on the bones really considering it's supposedly been worked on since 2017 I thought it all came across as a bit flimsy back of a fag packet type thing I'm sure it's I'm sure there's more to it than that um but not not that we know much about it at the moment and not the not the Premier League clubs know much about it I mean from what I can tell the majority the majority of them you know saw this when we did in the Telegraph it's not been discussed apart from you know at the very top Liverpool Man United etc so Wolves, for their part, as a club looking to break into the top six, I'd imagine that they're that they're very much opposed to this um, and to any kind of restructuring in, in, of the league or the finances. 
Um, and the voting as well. The so at the moment it's well. one Absolutely. club, one vote. So they don't like the idea in theory that someone at the bottom of the pile, say Fulham, get exactly the same voting rights as a Man United, Man City or Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. And do you know what? You're not going to get Wolves um, shouting or being very public in their opposition to this, if that's how they feel, because they're not that type of club, really. You know, I'm not sure they really... Um, have very strong opinions on how the league is run necessarily. You know, they're more focusing on, on what they do. They're not wants to kind of upset the apple cart. Although if you were going to ask Nuno if he wants a league a league cup or not, I, th- I think he'd probably say no. And I think that's probably the only sensible suggestion in this that nobody's really voicing strong opposition to is, is scrapping the league cup. I mean, to be honest, me personally, I've, I've, I've had no joy from that competition for many years now. And the fact that even Championship and League One clubs make wholesale changes to their 11s for League Cup ties, just completely devalues that competition. You know, when fans are allowed in, the, the grounds are half empty. I know it's a nostalgic part of Wolves' history, you know, winning it 40 years ago. But really, um, I think it's uh, a competition that's not fit for purpose anymore. And it would also have the advantage of, of boosting the profile of the FA Cup as well if they scrapped it. And um, I think that's a sensible suggestion, to be honest. Another week, another thumping victory for Wolverhampton Wanderers women. This time it was 6-0 away to Wem and another hat-trick from Jade Cross. She scored four goals last week, three goals this week and the table makes for ridiculous reading. Wolves women top with 15 points from five games. Obviously, they won all the games. Goal difference, plus 33 after five games so they are making up for last season they really really are when they were robbed of uh, certain promotion that's the only way to describe it and under uh, the very unfortunate circumstances and it seems more to the point that Wolves are taking this very very seriously not only in the signings which have been out of the six five of them from a division above but also the fact that the Wolves chairman Jeff Shee went to Wem away in Oswestry now what does that tell you Tim? <laughs> Well, it's amazing, first and foremost. You, you can only imagine how happy the players and the management must have been to see him in Wem. It's like, what are you doing here, Jeff? It's fantastic. It just it's a, adds substance, really, to, to the fact that they're, they're committed to Wolves women going forward. You know, we had that letter which we read out in the summer um, expressing such heartfelt um, remorse about the fact that Wolves had so cruelly had promotion taken away from them. And, you know, Jeff sent that, I think, to all the, all the players and management of Wolves women um, and we've seen increased investment in the in the past couple of years, and I think it's great. And I think, you know, they're basically going over what they did last season. Um, they've seems like they've kept the bulk of the squad together and added new faces. And in two years' time, you never know where this where this team could be. Um, with Jeff Shee behind them and investment behind them, and the great crop of players that they've got at the moment, and Dan McNamara is doing a fantastic job. And I think in a couple of t- a couple of years' time, we'll really see them become prominent. I, I, I can really see that going. They're still at the fourth tier for now, but in another couple of years' time, um, they could be in the championship and really looking up to become a WSL team. Well, that's the exact thing. With that kind of backing, it really is there. It does open doors for you. I mean, look at the likes of Man City and um, Manchester United. Man United, very, very young club. They've only been going a couple of years. Um, And they've signed huge names in the world of women's football from the United States, World Cup winners. And the kind of reach that you can get over there, I don't know if you saw the, the news stories recently about how the likes of Tobin Heath and Kristen Press, massive names in the States, outselling all the male Manchester United names on the back of shirts. Um, And then when you start talking about that, that that can get the money men interested, can't it, when you talk about... Exactly, that'll get 
Jeff she interested in. There's a huge amount of, of potential there for growth, and that's what Fosun are all about, right? Um, so he'll be looking at that and tapping into that, and they've obviously got, I think, good foundations for moving forward. You know, we may see uh, a purpose-built facility maybe at some point in the future. You never know, um, but it's fantastic that Jeff Shee's taken an interest in it. Yeah, absolutely. Dan McNamara, the, the coach on Twitter, amazing to see Jeff Shee take time out to support the women yesterday. It meant a lot to the group and shows the direction of the whole club. So he and the players absolutely buzzing and they're getting payback. And we've seen the City Academy and what, what that can do for them at Manchester City. Um, brilliant, brilliant facility and, and Wolves really need something like that. They have talked about it before. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, they have talked about it before. I think they were looking at Castlecroft a couple of years ago as maybe an option for a purpose-built stadium for the women's team and the under-23s team. You know, they've been looking at what to do long-term. They've been at Telford, not anymore. I think facilities maybe not not what they wanted there. They may look at building something at Compton that was mooted to me as well, maybe a, a stand or a, a small facility at Compton for people to watch. So I don't think that's moved on a great amount in the, in the past few months. But you've got to say, you know, Jeff Shee going to this game, I remember he went remember he went to that Youth Cup game last season that we spoke about at Aldershot when Wolves got trounced 7-0 by Chelsea, but he went all the way to Aldershot on his own. Um, he went to watch the under-23s at Leamington last season and, and will watch the under-23s here, there and everywhere. People, people kind of look at Wolves' net spend and, and suggest that Fosun might be losing interest because they haven't they haven't gone 100 million into the red this summer. It's just ridiculous, and that these kind of things suggest the exact opposite. And you know, he's a very methodical, intelligent man, and he wants to know and does know the club forensically inside out. And I just think Wolves should be Wolves fans should be grateful and so happy to have him taking such an interest at all levels of the club. Yeah. Certainly gave them a boost anyway. Very interesting to watch how they progress now. Follow them at Wolves Women. We had a tweet in, or you did, Tim, from I am probably Pete, and he probably is, after your article on John Hunter Barrett, the Wolves head of coaching. He said, just subscribed. Never thought I'd pay to read articles like this, but Spears is different level. Good read. And I've been saying for years you're different level, Pets. I have. You are. And you're well worth subscribing for your pound a month to read. But this was a really good article. And Wolves fans were really intrigued because a lot of them hadn't heard of John and didn't know much about him. So give us a little idea as to how you came to know about him and what he had to say. I mean, I knew of John and I know he's been in the academy coaching setup for a number of years and always a friendly face around Compton. But I was yeah delighted to get the chance to speak to him at depth about just what he does for the club. And he's got a really interesting story. You know, we ran it as part of our Black History Month celebrations, um, trying to put a focus on figures within the game. We were doing great work at all of our Premier League clubs. But, you know, this was really about about, about even more than that and, and really kind of shining a light on what John does. And he's been a coach for 15 years and he's 30. So half his life he's been a coach. It's a great story. You know, he realised he wasn't going to make it as a pro uh, um, and ended up coaching at Warsaw, volunteering his time every single Saturday. And then moved to Wolves in 2011 under, when Mick Halsell made that, made that same move and has grown through the ranks from coaching five-year-olds to eight-year-olds to 12-year-olds to now being head of academy coaching, just one rung below Scott Sellers, who's, who's the overall academy boss. And read some glowing tributes on Twitter from colleagues and friends of his who read the article and, and said how grateful they are for helping them in their careers. But he's um, he's an extremely intelligent man who spoke very well and I'd urge people to read it if they want an understanding of what the academy is these days because it's very much changed from four years ago when their remit was to produce first team players for Wolves, preferably local lads. It's not about that now. Um, 
ceiling is so much higher that the chances of them producing players for this first team are slim. So it's more about making the academy self-sustainable and developing these players and probably selling them on for a profit at the end. You want the academy to be a self-sustainable standalone business. Chelsea have done it extremely successfully over the years while also still producing players for the first team squad as we've particularly seen in the last year. So they're the um, they're the target for Wolves. They're a long way behind as we discussed that Chelsea game earlier. They lost 7-0 to them last season, but they're on the right track. And in John, they've got someone who's going to lead this academy forward and knows fully well what, what the remit is. He was very interested on that subject. He said perhaps the academy was a bit cosy a few years ago. Everybody just saying yes to each other, not challenging each other. So it's the opposite now. The standards are so high. And it all comes again direct from Jeff Shee. So yeah, um, I'd uh, urge people to, to read that if they can spare the time. Yeah, I would too. And he talks about how multicultural yes. the Wolves Academy is. He says, I've been really fortunate at Wolves that that is the case. We can definitely say we're set aside from a lot of Premier League clubs from a coaching capacity, how diverse our academy is for coaches. So I wouldn't say it's held me back. And he goes on to say about other coaches, something I've I've discussed from talking to a lot of black ex-players. And they say, well, there's no point in getting badges because you just don't get the jobs. But John's view is, well, you're not going to change it unless you actually go for it. So he's urging them to go for it. So well worth reading that. And you did an article on Ryan Nori as well, uh, which is well worth a read. What have you got coming up? Can you tell us, please? We've got a feature on Will Gibbs-White to follow this week, a uh, feature on Kiana Hoover as well. And I'm going to be analysing, are Wolves boring, Jackie? Are they boring are to watch? Yes, I am, yes. Is that after the Leeds game or are you going to analyse it before the Leeds game? I do it before on the premise that if I say they're really boring, then they'll do the opposite at Leeds because they always tend to do the opposite of what I've said they're going to do. They do, Tim, because I remember us doing um, a podcast a few months ago when Wolves won, what, a couple of games? And I remember you saying to our producer Adonis, hey, why don't you um, call this pod on iTunes and everything, why are Wolves so good? And Adonis went, that's a good idea. And I remember thinking... Uh-oh, I'm really superstitious. No, no, I'll let them go along with it. Don't say anything. And then after that, Wolves barely scored a goal, won a game, and absolutely nosedived Tim Spears. So More that of the stories, entirely... don't, don't listen to me at all. That's not what I'm talking fault. about. So can you therefore write that article about how <laughs> yes, dull and rubbish they are? And they'll, they'll start a double triori and they'll be highly entertaining and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll play really well against Leeds. Thank you, Tim. Cheers, Jackie. See you next week. And if you'd like to read all of Tim's fabulous content, please do go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod for literally a pound a month, which is not very much money, I would suggest. We'll be back next week. We'll be recording after the Leeds United away game. So we'll be in your inbox and your regular podcast platform on Tuesday morning. Bye for now. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.